Back to Weekly Review. I am joined on the phone by Max. Max, thanks for calling in. Hi, thank you. Thanks yeah. for inviting me. A- absolutely. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about the action that happened uh, this past Monday outside the PG&E headquarters. Yeah, so um, on Monday we uh, shut down PG&E. It was a coalition of 
disability justice activists and fat activists and environmental justice activists, climate justice activists. Um, and there's a, a new movement called Utility Justice, which is mm -hmm. kind of a coalition of those folks uh, and frontline groups who are most impacted by climate change and utility issues. So we were uh, acting in support of the Utility Justice Coalition and shutting down the headquarters of PG&E uh, to basically demand that they pay attention to the needs of frontline communities and disabled people. You know, they've been, um, they've been, ba they've been basically blamed for numerous wildfires in the past couple of years, and uh, because they have faulty equipment that they haven't been maintaining, mm -hmm. and meanwhile they've been giving uh, lots of payouts to shareholders <laughs> um, and not using the money they have to repair their equipment. And, you know, PG&E is owned by, you know, these big money interests who don't even live anywhere near here. And they're mm -hmm. just, it's a business. Yes. You know, yes. designed to make money. And right. um, so their answer to um, the liability issues around causing wildfires was basically to shut the power down, which has a huge impact on many people particularly people who rely on electricity to survive so right. anybody who's poor and can't afford to replace that food in their refrigerator mm -hmm. that's going to rot anybody who's disabled and uses a CPAP machine to breathe or oxygen or needs to refrigerate their medication all these different communities have major problems when they lose their electricity so yes. we were protesting um because of that yeah and how did was there any response from PG&E or any workers that you spoke with? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I didn't really interact with any. Well, no, I did interact with one worker <laughs> yes. who, uh, who was angry with me because um, I I was locked to the door and there were new, numerous people locked to the doors and she couldn't get in. And she was angry because she's she said, I'm 62 and I just want to go to work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and why aren't you protesting Trump instead? Hmm. And I was like, well, we are protesting Trump. <laughs> yes. <too." laughs> yeah, they're not exclusive. But, you know, she was inconvenienced. And, um, you know, yeah, it was a drag for workers to have to walk around and try to figure out how they could get in the building. It's a huge building. It's like a, it takes up an entire city block. Wow. And we had almost all the entrances blocked mm -hmm. so it was difficult for people to get in and that was part of our goal was to um impair their operations at their headquarters right for and, the day and that minor inconvenience for them is nothing compared to what folks without power had to go through yeah well that's what i said to her actually i was like you know disabled people died in the last power shutoff and she just kind of gave me a look and just kept walking away mm. <laughs> so difficult for people to deal with being inconvenienced sure. and to see the bigger picture. Right. I think especially when you're a worker for the that company mm -hmm. and have a have a place in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you feel like your own survival is tied to it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I was glad to see so many different folks um, come through, and I really appreciate that the different organizations came together. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the organizational process, if you'd like. You mean the organizational process of the protest itself? Sure. Well, so uh, it was, we used a spokes council model. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, the 
I guess it was the Democratic Socialists of America or the San Francisco Democratic Socialists of America. I don't know. I'm not really familiar with their whole structure. Mm-hmm. But some some of those folks and some of the environmental folks um, from Rising Tide, Diablo mm-hmm. Rising Tide, I think they are the ones who sort of started the organizing and invited different groups. Got and um, they invited the group that I'm involved in. Um, it's a coalition called Power to Live. Mm-hmm. And we formed during some of the power shutoffs um, as a way to try to um, support mutual aid among disabled folks mm-hmm. because, you know, people were really struggling with, oh, my God, I need electricity. And not only do I need electricity, but I need to be able to stay someplace that's wheelchair accessible. Right. Like, you know, those are big needs, you know, in the yeah. middle of a power shutoff. Um so try, trying to make sure that everybody had what they needed and uh, support that. So we be, we became part of Power to Live, and I work with an organization called Fat Rose. We organize fat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's lots of intersection between fat and disability, and we've been doing different organizing with disability justice communities for a while. And so Power to Live grew out of those relationships. And um, so, you know, we were like, yeah, you know, th- th- this shutdown of PG&E is actually a really important yeah. move, and we want to be involved. And so they ended up deciding they wanted to actually center disability and the impact on disabled people for this particular action. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting to us. It's like that's it's not often that that happens. Yes. And, you know, really I feel like the coalition that came together and the fact that it – included disability and disabled organizers mm-hmm. and also fat and fat organizers like the the word fat was actually named in the press release mm-hmm. that's unprecedented in, mm-hmm. in my experience that co- coalition of different kinds of groups is actually unprecedented there's you know a, a history of um a, a huge amount of ableism and mm-hmm. certainly fat phobia and fat hatred so that fat and disabled folks just aren't really in movements in great numbers you know mm-hmm. so it was interesting an interesting experience to be able to uh form this coalition in order to do this action and experience uh working with environmental groups where i never would have imagined myself really doing that so yeah it was a good experience definitely it's really great when when folks come together and we realize that we all you know the more of us who come together the more powerful we are well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we really need each other. Yes, yes. You know, we cannot do this alone. And um, to, to to group with people in our own identities is really important at some level. Mm-hmm. And we need to go beyond that, too. Right. You know, it's like we, we need it to support us to be able to be ourselves in this really fucked up world. But we also need to come together and support each other. And so I feel like that's my biggest motivation right now is to figure out how to organize across movements, mm-hmm. across identities, and start to come together. Yes, yes. And I was also impressed that the the media, I know, for better or for worse, uh, did sh- come up, come through. So I felt that they was... They really did. I was surprised, because I've been to a lot of actions in the past, and sometimes they, they don't come at all, or if they do, then it's a little bit problematic in terms of how they want to spin the narrative. And mm-hmm. I was just impressed by how quickly they came and how open they seemed. 
Yeah, I was too. And, you know, I think that pg and is kind of a hot issue right now. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's a lot of hot issues kind of coming together, right? We've yes. got, you know, climate chaos. Yes. We've got pg and which is totally messed up beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got people questioning capitalism, right? We've got all thank, these people going, goodness. wow, maybe this utility should be publicly owned. Yeah. Radical. But... <laughs> But people are agreeing with it, you yes. know. So there's all these things coming together, and you know the fact that people actually literally died because mm-hmm. of the shutoffs. Mm-hmm. You know that's huge. Yes. Right. It's not just the fires that kill people. It's right. actually the way you're the way you're managing your response is killing people too. Yes. So yeah, I think there's it's just like a weird um, convergence of things happening and. You know, maybe it's what they call a movement moment mm-hmm. or a whirlwind. I don't know. I'm just sort of learning about um, the way that movements work and, the you know, the way change happens. And I feel like that, you know, that seems like this is a bit of a whirlwind that we managed to get in and at, like, the exact right time or something. <laughs> yes, yes. And also, as you mentioned, it affects everybody. So folks don't have the option. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a thing where sometimes folks – only get involved if it affects them or their friends or their families. And this is something where with the climate is that it's affecting everyone and people can no longer look away. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless they can go build a bunker in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those or build a rocket ship and go into outer space. Sure. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So is there anything that's happening next that you'd like to share or promote or other ways that listeners might be able to get involved in the organizations that you mentioned? Well, we're actually talking about doing, um, speaking of media, (laughs) we're talking about um, doing some more media uh, campaigns and keeping the momentum going of Mm -hmm. the media. And this is particularly among the Power to Live folks. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a number of folks whose stories we'd really like to highlight and yes. get out in the media. And, you know, during the last power shutoff, I talked to the New York Times, and they were not very interested in what we felt like the story was. Mm. <laughs> they really wanted, like, a sensational story of someone who's suffering in the moment and, you know, to send a reporter to someone's house where they're struggling and, you know, can – yeah, it was it – was, a little bit gross, but I guess it's not surprising. It's yes. It's the New York Times. That's what yes. they do. Yes. And, um, you know, we felt like the story was actually the amazing mutual aid network we built as disabled and fat people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was phenomenal, the organizing we did. And we felt like that was the story, right? Yes, so, yes. So just this experience of realizing that, like, the mainstream media isn't going to necessarily want what we have to offer and we have to tell our own stories right right so i feel like there's we've got some work to do there that we really want to engage in and um yeah i mean if folks want to tell their stories around how they have uh how the power shutoffs have impacted them how the fires have impacted them we would love to hear them and help tell them great potentially and how can folks get so, in touch or what's the best way the um we made a website. It's um, powertolivecoalition.org. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. Okay. Or you could, well, no, we don't have a Facebook page. So, yeah, that's the easiest way. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, hopefully there are some you know, listeners out there where I feel like it's definitely there's so much to feel 
frustrated and angry and scared of that's happening right now. And one way to counter that is through activism. And there's so many different ways for folks to show up. So it's really helpful to be able to uh, know that there are so many folks organizing and providing outlets for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it feels like ultimately what we have is each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we need to turn. Indeed. You know, we can't be always looking outward because the state and the corporations are not going to protect <laughs> they're us. They're not on our side. No, they're not. Well, the sooner no. more folks realize that, I think the stronger we'll be. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you. Well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say thank you for, um, you know, pr promoting this protest and this work that we're doing and for all of the work that you are doing. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's many, there's so many different ways to show up. And that's something that I've learned over the years. So I'm happy to help spread the word. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And uh, hope to uh, see you again soon. Okay, take care, Roman. All right, you too, Max. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. All right. Big thanks to Max for calling in and for all the folks organizing. It's that thing where I do this, you know, we read the news and it's it's depressing and we there's these big corporations that are causing a lot of harm. And then there are folks who are countering that and it's through organizing and folks showing up that that make a make a change. All right, I'm going to take another little music break here. I'm going to take the little pup outside, get some fresh air, and then we'll be back uh, in a bit. So Please do stay tuned.
Welcome back to Weekly Review. Again, big thank you to Max for calling in. And this past, this last song is from Ravi Shankar, Chants of India, and that was Asato Ma. Next up, we have a, another news article about people showing up and doing cool things. That's a new song. All right, this is from on Twitter, Jeff Shirky. And you can follow Jeff at J E F F S eight. S-C-H-U-H-R-K-E. Um, and Jeff says, grades at USC, which is University of California at Santa Cruz, weren't submitted by last night's deadline. Faculty, undergrads, local officials all support striking grad workers who need a hashtag C-O-L-A, yet admin does nothing. Chancellor Cynthia LaRive won't even mention the strike. Hashtag don't submit hash or at pay us more UCSC. And the article from the Santa Cruz Sentinel.com is on eve of deadline, no signs of resolution for USC, excuse me, UCSC grading strike. So I'm gonna read this article. And written by Nicholas Ibarra. This came out on December 18th, 2019. And there's a photo here. I'll read the caption. Paloma Medina, a biomolecular engineering PhD candidate and teaching assistant at UC Santa Cruz, fires up a crowd of fellow wildcat striking teaching assistants and supporters outside Kerr Hall's UCSC administrative offices on Tuesday when TAs reiterated they will not turn in student grades before a Wednesday night deadline. Santa Cruz, an unauthorized strike held by UC Santa Cruz graduate student. Got a little pup on the lap. 
Okay, an, un an unauthorized strike held by UC Santa Cruz graduate students was set to come to a head overnight Wednesday with scores of teaching assistants saying they would not submit students' grades by a midnight deadline unless given a sizable raise. Min mid mid <laughs> Excuse me. Meanwhile, support for the striking students, including from hundreds of UCSC faculty, undergraduates, students at other UC campuses, and Santa Cruz City Council members, continued to grow as the strike entered a second week. Arguing they cannot afford housing in Santa Cruz's notoriously pricey rental market, the striking students are demanding a $1,412 monthly wage increase. The raise, they say, would bring their wages in line with counterparts at UC Riverside when cost of living is taken into account. Until their demand is met, the students said they would refuse to submit grades from the fall quarter as required as part of their duties as teaching assistants and graduate student instructors. Some have reportedly taken the additional step of deleting grades that had already been submitted to the campus's online grading portal prior to the strike's start December 8th. Exceptions were made Exceptions were being made for the students for students whose standing would be jeopardized by having their grades withheld, according to multiple striking students. Students first demanded the pay increase in a November 7th letter to UCSC Chancellor Cynthia LaRive before announcing the strike December 8th. LaRive, or LaRive, excuse me, uh, has yet to publicly address the strike and was unavailable for comment. But on the eve of the Wednesday deadline, it remained unclear how many students would follow through with withholding grades. The action was not authorized by the UAW 2865 union, which represents most graduate student workers across the UC system and participating students could face repercussions such as withholding of pay and termination. Striking students who have spoken out publicly, however, said they expect hundreds of graduate students to withhold grades, citing a straw poll and what they said was unanimous support from 200 graduate students at a December 8th strike meeting. In the wake of that meeting, support for the strike has only grown, according to film and digital media doctoral student Yulia Gilinskaya. Our presence and the outreach we've done, I think, convinced a lot of people who weren't necessarily on board to join, she said Wednesday. I cannot predict the exact number, but I'm, but I'm expecting it's hundreds of TAs. Prospects for... An agreement between the striking students and university administrators appeared slim Wednesday as campus administrators refused to meet with the students until the strike is ended. We're looking forward to engaging with graduate students once this unsanctioned disruption ends, which in some instances includes not only withholding grades and blue books in which students have written their final examinations, but also deleting students' grades, said UCSC spokesman Scott Hernandez-Jason in a statement. Further frustrating, the possibility of an amicable resolution, the contract setting graduate students' wages is negotiated between UAW 2865 by the University of California as a whole, not by the Santa Cruz campus. To discuss terms and conditions of employment, our campus must work through and with the system-wide UAW 2865 organization, Hernandez-Jason said. The local representative is not authorized to bargain on behalf of the UAW. Striking students insist the administration could negotiate, arguing they are seeking a cost-of-living raise on behalf of all graduate students, not just those represented by the union. We know that's an excuse. We know that that's an excuse, and there are always right ways around this. Excuse me. Gilinskaya said of the administration's refusal to meet. 
She pointed to precedents such as UC San Francisco's $2,500 cost of living supplement and the history of a of side letter agreements made in response to unauthorized labor strikes as potential models for negotiation. Because our demand is wider than UAW membership, it doesn't need to be a UAW negotiation. A typical graduate student at UCSC works half-time as a teaching assistant in exchange for a tuition waiver and roughly $2,434 in monthly wages for nine months uh, per year, according to information provided by campus officials. Many striking students have reported spending upward of 50% of their income on rent and shared stories of foregoing meals to afford rent, crowded shared housing conditions, and living in their cars. The average monthly rent of a one-bedroom apartment listed by the UCSC Community Rentals Office in 2018 was $2,079, while shared or single rooms in a house were listed for an average of $1,117. For anthropology doctoral student Brenda Aryona, those wages translate to spending what she had said worked out to spending about 78% of her take-home pay on housing. Speaking at a Tuesday afternoon rally in front of UCSC's Kerr Hall, Arjona, or Arjona uh, said she lives on campus in family student housing with her 10-year-old son. She said she had her power shut off at the beginning of the quarter due to her inability to pay her bills and has seriously considered dropping out of the program. The problem is that after paying three quarters of my paycheck back to the university for housing, I am left with less than $500 each month to pay the rest of my bills, Arjona said. Grad students should not be ashamed that they cannot afford to pay their rent or bills, she added. The university should be ashamed that they can't pay us enough to live here. Excuse me, that they don't. Excuse me. The university should be ashamed that they don't pay us enough to live here. To date, more than 400 UCSC faculty members have signed a petition supporting the striking students and endorsing their demand for a pay increase. The demand was also endorsed by UCSC Undergraduate Student Union Assembly in a resolution passed December 13th. At least 15 UCSC departments have committed not to retaliate against participating students, according to copies of letters from the departments reviewed by this news organization. Tuesday, Santa Cruz Mayor Justin Cummings and two fellow council members penned a letter of support for the striking students, endorsing their demand for a wage increase and calling on the UCSC administration to meet with striking students. As elected officials wanting to see the best outcome for all, we support a COLA, which is cost of living adjustment increase, and a speedy resolution to this matter. Cummings and council members Chris Crone and Sandy Brown said in the letter, if you would like to call on the auspices of the mayor and city council, we stand ready to assist in any mediation effort as the resolution to this issue moves forward. Hmm. So again, you can find this in the Santa Cruz Sentinel, and this came out on December 18th and was written by Nicholas Ibarra. Next up, I have a positive news story. I know that's shocking. And in this way, and I think the one I just read was also positive. I mean, it's the positive news stories are oftentimes when something really negative is happening and people take action, and then it, it's a positive thing because people are taking action, although it's really frustrating that the situation had to exist in the first place. However, I'm very grateful for positive things and, and yeah, positive things like that to share and folks taking action. It's a good thing and want to celebrate and not diminish um, because that's, it takes a lot of work to organize and it can be risky. And at the same time, when folks do that, sometimes there's a really positive result. So sending lots of love and solidarity to all the students out there. 
protesting and on strike. Next up, it's a longer article, and I'll be sharing a little bit of it and then playing a music break. I was going to go right to a music break. Um, however, Sparrow is on the, my lap, and I don't want to disturb her right now. So we're going to start off with this. And this is from Future Crunch, and it's uplifting news. And sometimes I think, ooh, uplifting news. What? Yeah, okay, great. Like, wow, a puppy was born. Or, oh, the truth. So, you know, and it's sometimes hard to look at the, for me, going to speak for myself, knowing all the terrible things that are happening in the world and how, especially in the U.S., I mean, things are happening, terrible things are happening all over the world. I don't want to diminish that. But knowing how the U.S. is an imperialist and the military actions and the, the ICE is still hap- is still a thing. ICE has not been abolished yet, and there's mass incarceration, and there's police officers killing people, and uh, go down, and then crim- poverty is criminalized, and then there's gay bashings and trans bashings, and it's like ah, and uh, reproductive health care is even more un- in under it's. There's more attacks on that and, and healthcare in general. And okay, so there's all these terrible things that are happening. And also, there are folks who are showing up. I just talked myself into a corner because now I'm like, oh my gosh, things are terrible. However, there are also positive things happening, oftentimes in retaliation to the negative things that are happening and folks organizing. And oh, yeah, climate change, that's a big one. So these are positive news stories that happened in 2019. And the title is that stories that we may have missed. And there's a few things I knew about, a few things I didn't, and it's from all around the world. And I also recognize here with the show, I definitely have a more of a Bay Area lens and then also a more United States lens and then so on and so forth. And a lot of it's just, okay, what information do I have access to? What do I have time for? What um, is my emotional capability in terms of what can I share? What can I read and share? And I know it varies from week to week. If folks have listened before, it's no show is exactly the same in terms of the the content or my mood or the language I use or music. It's all, it's different. Just like life. It's fluid. It's never linear. And I would like to have more of a whole world analysis, not necessarily analysis. I mean, there's so many people, there's so many things happening. How can one even begin to, I mean, this is, I've, I've said this before. It's like a, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. This is just through my lens from what I've, learned and how I understand it and hopefully you know hopefully I am evolving and learning with time and making mistakes and then becoming a better more open evolved person and there's so it's growing up in this country even there's so I mean the brainwashing I think I always had some sense of it that things were messed up but I never had quite a full idea of just how much has been left out, deliberately left out from education in this country and how much brainwashing there has been in the media. And also came of age just as cable television was sprouting and Fox News and how I feel like there was always misinformation, certainly, and covering up the truth. And then the propaganda really went into full swing, like hardcore um, in a way that uh, I think was unprecedented, at least for from the from the media standpoint, I guess, where it's really just coming into people's homes in a way. And how does one even, even though I feel like I've grown up with a wanting to, to question things, there's still so much more that I want to learn and know. 
and also unlearn. And I keep on thinking about that, like how many things and how many unconscious thoughts and feelings do I have that have been not to, not to, um, not to negate my own actions or my own responsibility for my actions and thoughts. It's to, I think, understand the roots of it and also just see how much through media have, has influenced my way of thinking and my way of looking at people and looking at myself and how much is internalized and, oh, there's so much. And I mean, that's why I, I like as introverted as I can be and as shy as I can be, I do like talking with folks and hearing people's stories and recognizing you know, the humanity in everyone. And if everyone had a chance to speak their truth, how different the world would be as opposed to just a few people spreading, spreading their own ideas. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to now play a song. Initially, I was going to go right into the story. However, I'm able to get up at the moment. And I did want to... Sometimes on shows, a variety show is like, coming up after this commercial break. You know, they try to like hook people in. And I feel like I've very rarely done that. However, I am going to do that because it's like, wow, stay tuned. Don't switch your dial, even though we're not no longer on the radio or on the internet. And people might be listening after the fact. And you can just pause it at any time anyway, or fast forward or rewind or do whatever. Uh, I do want to say, keep on listening. Because after this, we'll have 99 positive news stories from the year that one might not have known about. And I think that's pretty cool. And it definitely, it helps restore faith in humanity. All right. So here's some more music and we'll be back uh, after this. So stay tuned. Sahana Bhunatu, Sahavi Yam Karwa Bahe, Tejas Vina 
Welcome back to the Weekly Review with Roman. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's time to plug the station. This is Mutiny Radio, formerly known as Pirate Cat Radio. We have shows here every day of the week. Um, lots of different types of shows. There's comedy, there's news, there's music. There's an AA meeting that's here. Um, it's not on the radio, it's just 
the space is used for that. I think it's on a Wednesday. Check out the schedule at mutinyradio.fm. And also, if you're interested in having a show here of your own, it's completely free speech. You pay 100 bucks a month in dues. You get to use all the equipment here, and you get to have a show of your own. There's also The space is also available for rentals. So if you want to have a show here, there's like seating and bathroom and you have a, you get like a live broadcast and a recorded broadcast and you can get folks here so it's really cool that there are still these spaces here available for for rentals and for art so i do want to encourage folks to come by there's also art on the wall so if you're a an artist of the medium of painting or photography we do have a rotating art exhibit on the walls so please if you're interested in any of the above um, even if you're not interested in any of the above and just want to get in contact, check out mutinyradio.fm. You can come by and visit us. We're here at the corner of 21st and Florida, uh, 2781 21st Street. It's it's dog friendly, as we can attest to. So if you have a pup, bring your pup. It's also an all ages venue. It's also an alcohol free venue. So if you're sober like myself, that's uh, one less thing to worry about. So please do come through if you'd like. Also, I don't think it seems to work when I mention it on the show. But I'm going to anyway. I have a Patreon that's up. Big thank you to all the folks who donate. It means a lot to me. And if you'd like to donate to this show in particular, you can do so at patreon.com forward, forward slash weekly ref. And you can also donate directly to the station. We, I mean, dues and shows are how we keep the doors open. We do pay rent here, and it's kind of a collective for the most. Well, in many ways, it could be seen as a collective. So we do appreciate if you're able to chip in a little bit. And there's a Venmo that's up. Again, if you go to mutinyradio.fm, you can find all that information there. Lots of shows. There's like open mics, music shows, a lot of things. And even more if you'd like to come through. Okay, also we're on the first floor, so it's an accessible space. So I wanted to share that as well. Okay, coming up next. I just talked a lot. All right. The 99 good news stories you probably didn't hear about in 2019. And this is from Future Crunch. And I read it on I read it on Reddit. Okay. I'm going to open up the tab here. And I'm going to sit down. And hopefully get a little, get Sparrow back on the lap. Come here. Oh, come on. And, oh, oh, he's very cute. You can do it. Come on. Okay, uh, this is this is the life here. I get to read about good news stories. I've got cute little 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 pup on the lap. Okay, if we want to change the story of the human race in the 21st century, we have to change the stories we tell ourselves. This came out on December 13th, 2019, written by Angus Hervey. Again, this is in Future Crunch. I start off with a Charles Dickens quote. You know, the best of times, worst of times, etc. Blah blah blah. Ugh. And it, I don't mean that, and I mean when I just say, you know, you get it. And so let's see. it starts off, we watched the news this year, maybe you did too. It didn't look good. Countries on the verge of collapse, people taking to the streets, some in peaceful marches and extinction rebellions, uh, other in violent clashes with security forces, which I think is often necessary. Um, da, 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 da. All right, talking about all the bad things that are happening, <sighs> the border even existing is a bad thing. People in cages, children in cages, trade wars, surveillance, capitalism, re-education camps, war-torn hotspots, murder and conflict, and many more things. Emissions rising, uh, species going extinct, wildfires, uh, losses cascading across ecosystem. 
That's is, this is the opening. You can go to the website Future Crunch if you want to read the opening. And I'm going to go directly to the, the stories that are positive and might be difficult to believe. However, I think it's really important to talk about some positive things that are happening and put perspective on it. All right. I start off with a quote, and I might take breaks in between this because 100 stories is a lot. And these are just summaries, but still, I'm going to make myself comfortable here. All right. Hold on. Oh. Oh. up got the pup here okay conservation grace happens when we act with others on behalf of our world and that's a quote from joanna macy one new surveys reveal that the population of humpback whales in the south atlantic region now number 24,900 almost 93 percent of their population size oh excuse me almost 93 percent of their population size before they were hunted the, to the brink of, brink of extinction and that's from the bbc next two Chinese authorities began preparations for the creation of the largest national park in the country's history, covering an area of 27,134 kilometers square, square kilometers and home to more than 1,200 wild giant pandas. That's from Nat Geo. Next, three, the indigenous Warani community of Ecuador won a landmark case against oil companies this year, protecting 180,000 hectares hectares of their land against exploitation. And that's from Al Jazeera. Four, in 2019, the United States passed a new law outlawing animal cruelty. China issued guidelines stating that from 2020, non-animal testing will be pref the preferred method for cosmetic products. And in Australia, cosmetic companies were banned from using data derived from animal testing. Five, dolphins are breeding in the Potomac, Potomac River in Washington for the first time since the 1880s. Whale populations are exploding off the shores of New York, and 100 seal pups have been born on the shores of the Thames 60 years after the river was declared biologically dead. And that's from Telegraph. Six, in July, Ethiopia smashed the world record for tree planting, led by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmad, excuse me, Ahmed. Millions of Ethiopians planted 353 million trees in 12 hours. That's incredible. And they have a photo, and it says Abiy Ahmed showing why he's Africa's most popular leader. And that's from the BBC. Next up, seven. The city of Seoul shut down all its remaining dog butcheries this year, and the Netherlands became the first country in the world to eliminate all stray dogs, not by euthanasia, but through education, free veterinary care, and rehoming. And that's from Amsterdam Hangout. Eight. In Kenya, poaching rates have dropped by 85% for rhinos, and 78% for elephants in the last five years. In South Africa, the number of rhinos killed by poachers fell by 25%. The fifth annual decrease in a row, and in Mozambique, one of Africa's largest wildlife reserves, went an entire year without losing a single elephant. Nine, Belize doubled the size of ocean reserves around the world's second largest barrier reef. South Africa increased its proportion of protected waters from 0.4% to 5.4%. Argentina created two new marine parks in the South Atlantic, bringing the total protected areas to 8%. 10. Canada became the first country in the world to protect more than 10% of its ocean waters of its ocean waters after the government partnered with Inuit custodians to create a vast new conservation zone in the Arctic 
the Tuvai Jutik Marine Protected Area and the Taluru Tuip Imanga National Marine Conservation Area. And that's from the National Observer. And again, apologies if I've mispronounced. 11. India reported that its population of tigers has risen by over a third since 2014. And in Siberia, Siberia an unprecedented collaboration between China and Russia has paved the way for a new transnational park for the Amur leopard and the Siberian tiger. Okay. 12. Since 1990, France's forest areas have increased by 7% in Nepal. Satellite images revealed that forests expanded from 26% in 1992 to 45% in 2016, and Costa Rica announced it has doubled its forest cover in the last 30 years. Half its land surface is now covered with trees, a huge carbon sink in a big draw for tourists. 13. And as I read this, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get to all 99, so perhaps I will save the last 50 for next week. That sounds like a great plan. All right. 13. A new study revealed that the status of Great Britain's carnivores has improved markedly since the 1960s. Thanks to conservation efforts, otters, pine martens, pine martens uh, badgers, and polecats have staged remarkable rec recoveries. And that's from Wiley. 14. Canada banned the trade, possession, capture, and breeding of dolphins, whales, and porpoises passed a Fisheries Act containing a legally binding requirement to rebuild fish populations and unveiled new standards for marine protected areas, banning all oil and gas activity, as well as mining, dumping, and bottom trawling. 15. An unprecedented conservation effort returned the Mexican gray wolf from the brink of extinction, giving it a new home in a re reserve with other species endemic to its former territories, such as prairie dogs, bison, and longhorn sheep. That's from Mexico News Daily. 16. China's tree stock rose by 4.56 billion meters? Meters to the third, so not square. Okay, M3. Uh, my apologies. Um, between 2000, that's a lot. Between 2005 and 2018, Deserts are shrinking by 2,400 square kilometers a year, and forests now account for 22% of land area. That's from SCMP. 17. The U.S. Senate passed its most sweeping conservation legislation in a decade, protecting 1.3 million acres and withdrawing 370,000 acres from land available to mining companies. That's from the L.A. Times. Ah. <sighs> Next, global health. Healthcare is vital to all of us some of the time, but public health is vital to all of us all of the time. That's Charles Everett Coop, of all people, said that. Good to know. 18, Algeria and Argentina officially eliminated malaria this year, and the WHO said that in the last eight years, malaria infections in Cambodia, China, Laos, Myanmar, Thailand, and Vietnam dropped by 76%, and deaths fell by 95%. India also reported a huge reduction in malaria, with 2.6 million fewer cases in 2018 than in 2017. That's from Nature, uh, I guess the publication, Nature. 19. The Global Burden of Disease Report said that between 1990 and 2017, the number of kids and teenagers dying around the world decreased by more than half, from 13.77 million to 6.64 million. 
that's from CNN, 20. And again, I'm reading the article from Future Crunch, who has it's been outsourced from other articles, so wanting just to put that caveat on there. 20, remember bird flu, the disease that was going to be the next global pandemic? Don't worry, Sparrow, it's okay. There hasn't been a single H5N1 human infection since February 2017. That's from STAT, S-T-A-T. 21, according to the United Nations, global HIV-related deaths have fallen to 770,000, a third lower than in 2010 when 1.2 million deaths were recorded. That's from Deutsche Welle. Well, maybe. W-E-L-L-E. 22, Senegal became the first African country to begin providing free treatment for women with breast or cervical cancer, the leading cause of cancer deaths. And Mali announced it would begin providing free health care for pregnant women and children under five. That's from The Guardian. 23. In the biggest breakthrough for cystic fibrosis in decades, a new drug that targets the genetic roots of the disease was approved by the FDA. That's from The Washington Post. 24. The UN released its latest figures on pneumonia, showing that the number of children dying from the ultimate disease of poverty has decreased from 6,410 per day in 1990 to 2,216 per day in 2017. That's from OWID. 25. The Philippines passed a Universal Health Care Act, enlisting all of its 107 million citizens to health insurance and medical treatment. And Malaysia started providing free health care insurance for the country's poorest 40%, providing coverage against 36 critical illnesses. 26. The CDC announced that cigarette smoking among U.S. adults has reached an all-time low of 13.7%, a decline of two-thirds in the last 50 years. And in the U.K., the number of cigarettes being smoked fell by nearly a quarter between 2011 and 2018. That's from Cancer UK. 27. Russian officials reported that alcohol consumption has decreased by 43% since 2003 as a result average life expectancy in 2018 reached its highest level ever. And that's from BBC. 28. The AIHW said that more people are surviving cancer in Australia than ever before. Since 1989, the mortality rate has dropped by 32% for men and by 21% for women. 29. Between 1990 and 2019, cancer mortality rates fell by 18% in Argentina, 26% in Chile, 14% in Colombia, 17% in Mexico, and 13% in Venezuela, corresponding to almost half a million avoided deaths. That's from the International Journal of Cancer. 30. Malawi eliminated the world's most common infectious eye disease, trachoma, the second African country to do so after Ghana. In 2014, more than 8 million people were at risk. Today, that number is zero. That's from Hippocratic Post. 31. A new vaccine for typhoid reduced cases by more than 80% in trials and is now being used to immunize 9 million children in Pakistan. That's from BBC. 32. Stroke, stroke rates for U.S. adults over the age of 65 have decreased by one-third each decade for the last 30 years. New diabetes cases have declined by 35% since 2009, the longest decline since the government started tracking the statistic, and under the Affordable Care Act, nearly 2 million diabetics have now received access to health insurance. 33. In Rwanda, 95% of babies currently receive vaccinations for rubella, measles, and polio, and it's also on track to be the first country to eliminate cervical cancer. And that's from CNN. 34. Heart disease rates in the UK are on the decline. It's still the leading 
cause of mortality, but deaths have decreased by almost half since 2005. That's from Telegraph. 35. Between 2000 and 2018, the global incidence of measles fell by two-thirds and more than 23 million lives were saved by the measles vaccine. I don't know if there's any anti-vaxxers who listen to the show. Maybe. Uh, it's a good thing to get vaccinated and vaccinate your kiddos if you have them. AC, that's from ACS. Next, 36. A new Ebola vaccine was cleared for distribution in 2019 and is working miracles, reducing mortality rates from 70% to as low as 6%. That's from Boston University. 37, the WHO revealed that the average decline in the incidence of tuberculosis, the leading infectious disease, excuse me, the WHO revealed that the average decline in the incidence of tuberculosis, the leading infectious cause of death worldwide, has been 1.6 every year between 2000 and 2018. And in August, a new cure for the deadly strain of TB was approved, clearing the path for global distribution. That's from the New York Times. 38. Type 3 polio officially became the second species of polio virus to be eliminated in 2019. Only type 1 now remains, and only in Pakistan and Afghanistan. That's from STAT. S-T-A-T. And I think this will be the last uh, category I'll, I'll read for this show. Living Standards. And it's a quote from Anne Frank. No one has ever become poor by giving. 39. New research showed that the proportion of people in extreme poverty around the world fell from 36% in 1990 to 8.6 in 2018. Absolute numbers were down from 1.9 billion in 1990 to 610 million in 2018. And that's from ODI. I thought this was interesting because... Especially here in San Francisco, where the wealth disparity is so huge, we see that there are, there are billionaires and then there are folks here without housing. And I, and also just recognizing how the top percent keeps on, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. However, this research tends to show that uh, at least extreme poverty is, I mean, no one should be, no one should be living in extreme poverty, though, is the thing. Um, however, Yes, it's good that the numbers at least are going down. 40. The biggest global story you didn't hear about this year, and I'm, they're making an assumption here. Maybe you heard about it. Uh, the biggest global story you didn't hear about this year was the successful conclusion of India's extraordinary sanitation drive. In the last five years, 90 million toilets have been built. 93% of, of households now have access, and 500 million people have stopped defecating in the open. That's from the Economic Times. 41. The second biggest story was Save the Children. Interesting. Um, save the Children. Perhaps you're, you're going down the street and there are some folks who like ask to donate and it's, I've heard not so good things about the organization. And Anyway, however, I'm going to share this story and then we can all you know do some research, question it. Uh, 2019 Global Childhood Report showing that in the last 20 years, children's lives have improved in 173 out of 176 countries compared to 2000. Today there are 4.4 million fewer child deaths per year, 49 million fewer stunted children, 130 million more children in school, 94 million fewer child laborers, 11 million fewer girls forced into marriage or married early, 3 million fewer teen births per year, 12,000 fewer child homicides per year. Naturally, this was front page news everywhere. 42. China now has equal numbers of girls and boys in primary and high school, and more than half of university students are women, up from less than a quarter in 1978. And that's from 
Xinhua, and that's X-I-N-H-U-A. Next, 43. 30,000 children in Cambodia have been rescued from hard labor in the past five years and 180,000 prevented from being child workers. That's from Phnom Penh Post, and that's P-H-N-O-M. Next word is P-E-N-H, Post. 44. According to the World Bank, India halved its poverty rate in the past 30 years, increased life expectancy at birth by 11.6 years, increased the average number of schooling years by 3 to 5 years, and increased per capita incomes by a factor of 250. And then they say 45 Western liberal democracies are not suffering from a loneliness epidemic. I, I still feel like we are. However, let's continue reading. Adolescents in the United States are not more likely to report feeling lonely than adolescents from a couple of decades ago. Other, excuse me, older adults do not report higher loneliness than older adults in the past. And surveys coming from Germany, England, and Sweden point in the same direction. That's from OWID. 46. Since the beginning of the century, the number of houses with adequate sanitation, living area, and reliable construction doubled in sub-Saharan Africa from 11% to 23%. That's from Nature. 48. Officials in Nepal reported that 8.8 million people have gained access to electricity since 2010 and that the country is on track for universal access by 2022. That's from the Kathmandu Post. 47. Nepal was also declared an open defecation-free country in 2019. Eight years ago, 9 million people did not have access to clean sanitation facilities. That's from Rising Nepal. 49. Poverty in the, in the United States reached its lowest rate since 2007, with 1.4 million people living in poverty in a single leaving poverty. Excuse me, leaving poverty in a single year, and poverty in Canada reached the lowest level ever recorded, 9.5 percent, down from 15.6 percent in 2006. Again, we have enough resources to house and feed and provide healthcare for everyone. So, again, yes, glad these numbers are going down and also not far enough. Uh, I don't mean to rain on this parade. However, just recognizing that a lot of the times the, these good news in quotation marks is that maybe like bad things are getting a little bit less bad. Maybe fewer people are being affected negatively. Okay. And then, all right. Okay. Number 50. And then, okay, I'll finish this category. UNESCO said that 19 African countries reached gender parity, equal numbers of boys and girls in primary education in the past decade. That's from Brookings. Also, I'm going to just throw out there that uh, there's non-binary folks and folks who, yeah, it should go beyond that. But, okay, uh, that's going to be my statement. 51, a new report on the social performance of 149 countries in the last five years uh, using indicators like nutrition, shelter, safety, education, health, rights, and inclusiveness said that only four countries have regressed overall since 2014. That's from the first post. And then the next up, the section, which we will start on next week, is peace, safety, and human rights. And the quote from Jean Dominique is, you cannot kill the truth. You cannot kill justice. You cannot kill what we are fighting for. And that's pretty awesome. All right, before I forget, I did want to get to a post I read recently. I learned some things. Oh, hi. And it's on Twitter. That's kind of where I spend these days. Not you can, you know. It has its issues, certainly. However, I find a lot of news I wouldn't find otherwise on Twitter. If you want to follow me on there, by all means, please do. I don't have that many followers in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you can do so. I'm at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. -E I share a lot of the information 
that uh, I share on the show here. Ooh. And I'm also just going to share this briefly, a headline from Mission Local, which you can find at missionlocal.org. It's a local newspaper. Breaking, anchor brewery workers have approved their first union contract by a gaudy 49 to 3 vote. That's pretty cool. Okay. And... Oof. Bad news, because uh, I couldn't, because just reading, you know, 51, 52 good stories, got to read a bad one now. Uh, not intentional, but got to share this. This is from uh, Lycan Jordal, at L-A-I-K-E-N-J-O-R-D-A-H-L video. Border wall construction is imminent through Arizona's spectacular San Pedro River. Dozens of cottonwoods are flagged for removal. Border Patrol says they will break ground in the next two weeks. Everyone should see the sacred place before it's too late. It's another, I mean, the the idea of the border, which is fake and man-made, is like fucked up as is. And then when you like provide these security forces who cause harm under the, they pretend that they're like, you know, security, they're protecting people, but in, in fact, they're actually causing harm. They're separating families, they're violent, and they're also destroying the environment at the same time. Awful. Okay. Ugh. So I wanted to share that. And uh, the story I wanted to get to, one moment. I don't know why holding on. I can also, you know, I'm doing this in my own, <sighs> my own, uh, my own speed here. So also I mentioned before about folks who are showing up um, outside the in Indian consulate. There are folks in New York City yesterday who also did this. And if you follow me on Twitter, I've reshared these articles. You can learn more about the situation of what's happening in India. Also, J.K. Rowling as uh, a turf. Uh, many folks have been calling this out for ages, and then she just kind of went full on supporting this transphobe who got fired in England because she was like harassing this woman was like harassing her trans coworker, and she rightfully got fired. And then J.K. Rowling was like, "Oh, nah, I'm a turf." She didn't say that, but that's kind of her thing. So folks have been dragging her, and as rightfully they should. Um, there's also um, so in India, there's a protest. It's there. They've moved forward with anti-Muslim legislation and there are folks happen you know who are protesting in India and all over the world and in Pune it's P-U-N-E there's lot like hundreds and hundreds of folks protesting so I wanted to share that um, uh, another point is that uh, I'm gonna make I'm just gonna read a few more things is that having good things to not necessarily argue about but debate about if people are upset about the idea of everyone having health care, which I don't know why you would be, but some folks do. Uh, it's from Adam W. Gaffney at A.W. Gaffney on Twitter. When asked, how will you pay for Medicare for all, the retort might be, how will you pay for $6 trillion in health care costs that we'll have a decade from now under current law? Very... Um, Also, I'm, I was initially going back to my Twitter to read one thing and then in the show, but then there's so many other pieces that I'd like to share. Next is from Maddie Rose, which you can follow. And you can follow Maddie at U-L-I-V-E. Oh, you live in a society with the letter U. Uh, and Maddie says, intersex is as common as being a redhead, but you don't see people out here claiming there's only two hair colors and the rest are disorders and don't count. So again, going after that, the false idea that... Ugh, 
that there are only two two genders. Okay, next it's going down. You can follow at IGD underscore news. Direct action gets the goods from Indian Country Today. Breaking, and this was yesterday, uh, the 30-meter telescope will not be built atop Mauna Kea at this time. Hawaii Governor David Ige, IGE announced in an internal memo this morning that law enforcement personnel will be leaving the site. Awesome. Uh, I've, again, it's the positive news story because something negative was going to happen and folks showed up and prevented it from happening. And also, PBS NewsHour, police have detained more than 1,200 protesters in some of India's biggest cities Thursday after they defied bans on assembly uh, imposed to stop widespread demonstrations against a new citizenship law that opponents say threatens the country's secular democracy. And again, if you're in the Bay Area and want to support tomorrow from 10 to 12 at the Indian Consulate on Arguello, uh, they're having a, a rally, so folks, please come through if you're able. And I'm going to continue moving down. I'm trying to get to, uh, not trying, I am going to get to it. Um, oh, goodness. Uh, SF Chronicle, uh, racial disparities for BART proof of payment citations haven't changed in a year. African-Americans still get nearly half, creating quandary for transit agency. Hey, how about you make transit free? Then you can stop fucking arresting people. And it's cheaper. Okay. And then here's what I wanted to get to. Okay. Cool. And this is from... Uh, at Alice Aviz, Avizandum, A-L-I-S, excuse me, A-L-I-C-E-A-V-I-Z-A-N-D-U-M. And this person says, communists, the first line, because someone was saying how the line of the poem was like the, the, the first they came for the socialists, but that's not true. And communists, the first, the line is first they came for the communists, but everyone thinks it's the socialists because the Reagan administration made the Holocaust Memorial Museum change it before they let them engrave it there. So, holy shit, I didn't know that. That's fucked up and also not surprising given the damage that Reagan did in California and in the country and just, it's just so fucked up. Okay. So, I did want to end on that. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, I think that's a good place to end. It's 1.45. I'm going to play some more music and take Sparrow out for another little walk. Thanks again so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Thanks to all the folks who have donated throughout the years. Um, it means a lot. And if you like this show and want to tell a friend or someone you know, please, that's great. Again, not some, we do have a Facebook page. I haven't been on Facebook for a while, as I mentioned. So you can follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And uh, yeah, Always look forward to interviewing and talking with community organizers, activists, and artists. So please do get in touch. Uh, Twitter is probably the best way to at this moment. And uh, thanks for listening. And thanks for all the folks out there um, and ancestors and folks in the past who have worked so hard just to, to get to where we are today. And even though there's so many things that seem really terrifying right now, there's still so many folks out there doing a lot of really incredible work and incredible organizing. So big thank you, deep thank you. And um, I don't think Sparrow has any any words that she wants to say. Oh, cutie. Okay, I'm gonna play. Oop, I'm gonna get up, play some music. Super relaxed today. Having uh, animals really does help uh, calm one down. Here's some more Ravi Shankar from the Chance of India album. And uh, we'll be back next week. Have a great week, everybody.
Yo, yo. 
Welcome to the Common Thread Collective here at MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco. We're at the corner of 21st and Florida Streets here in the Mission District. We hope you come down and join us. We're going to have a really interesting afternoon. We usually do. But this afternoon in particular is going to be of interest, of of social import in in a very specific way because um, Tuesday, June 5th, which is just a couple days from now, is going to be the... um, primary election in California for the U.S. House of Representatives, for the uh, governor seat, for a lieutenant governor. There's many different positions that are on the California ballot um, here on June 5th. Um, 
that will help determine who the two final candidates will be in the November general election. So um, we're going to have, we are currently welcoming Dave's out there uh, shimmying around, shuffling around the house here at Mutiny Radio and uh, saying hi to our, all of our guests and friends who come down to be part of that candidate forum. We've got Ryan Kojaste, who's uh, a candidate for District 12. We've got Shahid Buttar and also Barry Hermanson. Um, and Barry is part of the Green Party. So it's going to be an interesting afternoon here at Mutiny Radio on the Common Thread Collective as we... Uh, jump into uh, the, com- the campaigns of these three gentlemen who are hoping to unseat the incumbent Nancy Pelosi, who has been in the House of Representatives since 1987. So, uh, you know, politics are always a, a little bit uh, confounding, maybe a little bit dirty, and uh, certainly often a bit confusing. But you know what? I'm going to play this song that we like to play at the beginning of every show. And it's Ubi Doobie Whitaker, and he's letting us know, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. Sometimes I wonder, where do the blues come from? Up and down, sometimes it's not so fun. Try my best to tell myself it's all gonna be okay. I sing this happy song I heard somewhere along the way. It's alright, it's okay. Come on, come on. Every little thing's gonna be alright. It's alright, it's okay. Every little thing's gonna be alright. Gonna be alright, it's alright. 
It's all right, folks, because we're here at Mutiny Radio. It's an exciting day. Hey, Diamond Dave. Hey, it is exciting. We're going to stay until the big day of the elections. The, 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 those who have already voted, those who already uh, voted, there are those who got their, uh, between their, 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 their papers to vote in the mail. Please bring it in. To, you can bring it in either to your local polling, polling place and come vote. Because uh, because there's a lot happening here, and I just happen to have we we're talking to her, a candidate for mayor on the ballot, something new to me, but something very special. Hey, Michelle Bravo. Hey there, how are you? Well, considering everything, considering it's a beautiful day. Uh, don't panic; it's organic. On the balance of the balance of life, uh, I'm doing fine. Wonderful. And we got John, we play a movie and there's John. We did. We've got John Rodano, who I'm glad showed up today as we're as we're still do, taking it down to the wire for the Tuesday election, um, because John always has something important to share with us in his music and his words. So thank you, John, for being here and take it away, my friend. So I'm gonna do a song my wife Vicky Leidner wrote. She wrote this song the day after that uh, election, and it called it post-election acute depression blues after the inauguration she changed it to post-election chronic depression blues and now last week she's telling me she wants to change it to post-election homicidal depression blues and I told her that's good she's starting to think about doing something about it so post-election Chronic depression, post-election chronic depression, post-election chronic depression. And fam got same condition Gotta get out of this position Gotta be working a midterm election Oh yeah, that midterm election Ain't no pills There ain't no shots So just eat that chocolate Psychosis blowing my brains with high explosives. The lies are true and the truth's all lies. No matter what you're seeing with your own two eyes. Gotta change a house. The people's house. Can't drain a swamp from the new White House. Can't drain a swamp from the new White House. 
just eat your chocolate. Thank you very much. And I'll be back your later. Partner, your wife wrote that song? Yeah, his wife wrote that song. Wow, it's wonderful. Stick around, John. Thanks, I'm talking John. to you, and I have your uh, M Michelle Bravo. <laughs> and Michelle is on the, on the mayor, running for mayor, which is going to be on the ballot. And that's the ballot that's the one, two, three. Remember, folks, that not like in the kind of old days, not so old days. You don't vote for one candidate, you have the opportunity to vote for three. One, two, three. Your favorite, your second favorite, and your third favorite. Is that right, Michelle? That's right. And so you so you made it you decided. I am very excited, yeah. It's I, I can feel it. It's it's been a wonderful learning experience. And uh, I am the former uh, San Francisco well, I was a student representative of the San Francisco School Board. That's actually kind of my first uh thing that I ever did in anything political uh, when I was in, again, when I was in high school. Uh, there's pictures of that on my Twitter feed at 4SFMayor uh, on Twitter. Uh, just really exciting times, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here, but definitely a lot of, of worrisome things brought me oh to goodness. running, you know? And the more you see, uh, when you were a student on the school board, I was... Uh, I was a senator and a, and a senator on the Associated Student Council City College. Fantastic. So we're doing it. That was when they were trying to take, you heard about it, trying to take our accreditation away. That's right. They wanted to take that college over and turn it into, what? We have no idea, but they couldn't do it because yep. we fought them. Fantastic. And that's why I say, and you're saying it too, and you said the school board, I can say, well, I say, at City, <laughs> City College. Yep. In the city. I went to City. <laughs> well, then we say, let's say it together, at City. At city. In the city. In the city. On the planet. On the planet. And in the street. And in the street. That's where we be with our learning key curve. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. And our learning key. Look at those nipples. <laughs> those learning keys that come together, you got us. These learning, our learning curves we come together, at least at this moment of time. And uh, so you had some uh, political thirst or some politics on the school board as a student representative. In which you saw them, and I, I don't know what attention they paid to you. I know what it, the way grown-ups are. Well, they they, they had uh, they had overcrowding in the schools back in the late '80s, and uh, that was one of the things I got on the news about and spoke out and definitely spoke out on the uh, school board about that because I mean people were sitting in the window sills on the floor. There weren't enough desks. Wow, and you were there too, and so that would give you your thirst, a thirst which you got. For a learning curve that led you right here, yes, running sir. for mayor, is that right? That's correct. Well, we all started somewhere. I'd say anyway, we all started. I go, I go back many, 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 many years. But so here you are, and you began to. Well, tell us all this happened. Well, let me give you my. Let me read your card. In fact, you can read your card. It's always interesting to do. See what the candidates are doing with the rest of their life. Some are like John Avalos is working for the for the for the union. They have various things they do, and you can find out why. But this is Michelle Bravo. Michelle Bravo, are you Latino? Bravo can be a name. What, what's Bravo? So a name you've taken. Not, not a problem at all. So oh, actually, not a problem. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my father uh, actually was from Buenos Aires in Argentina, so I'm a first generation on his side. But on my mother's side, we go back sixth generation Northern Californian. Wow. And so, yeah, uh, basically, I'm a... I'm, I'm, 
holistic health practitioner, been in business for 13 years over at the 450 Sutter Building, downtown near Union Square in San Francisco. I'm a uh, definitely a uh, lover of San Francisco, I adore it here. Um, and I'm a military veteran, small homeowner and business owner here in the city. And again, I, I got worried because I saw so much trash and feces and not the dog kind, but the human kind. And I said, what the heck's going on? Why isn't this being cleaned up? And why isn't anyone paying attention? So that's right. I assume that you begin to see while you're seeing all this stuff on the ground, laying around and so on. And then this opens up the fact that more and more people are got homeless yep. and trying to keep a tent without having their tents be confiscated and thrown in the garbage uh, the garbage truck while they're, while they're trying to find a place to lay their head, not just naked on the street. Yeah. But if they found a tent, like if it was a small homeowner, they were small owners to them and being harassed again and again and again. And why is this happening? Who's behind it? What do they want, want San Francisco to become? Can we connect that to this word that you hear more and more often? I want you to speak to it. And that word is gentrification. Gentrification, absolutely. And the SFPD, unfortunately, they, you know, 75% of the SFPD do not reside in San Francisco. So they have no connection to our citizens. And that includes the citizens who happen to be transient at the moment. And, uh, and another word residing in San Francisco, having to cross that bridge every day. Yep. And they are, they are we talk about trying to have the a police department that reflects in some way, the city, the people who live here, the voters, the people who would be voting if they thought there was something to vote for, all of the, uh, this community of San Francisco, there's many communities. So we're hoping to have a, that there should be uh, that not so many of these cops who live uh, outside, uh, 70 percent, you say, they're, over, they're almost overwhelmingly white people, aren't they? My understanding is that is correct, yes. So we, we, we definitely need a more diverse force. Diverse? We need, yeah, we need to recruit them from, you know, San Francisco uh, because uh, San Francisco cops are going to understand San Francisco values. At least that's my hope, and that's uh, my intention. And also you men mentioned coming out of the Marine Corps, and I, I wish we had a live TV here so I could <laughs> show you, but I could see. And so how long did you spend in the Marine Corps? I enlisted for four years. Were you, that's, were you there for four years? I, I enlisted for four years, spent some time in Vallejo at Mare Island. That's okay. where I was one of an installation of 600 Marines, uh, fast company at a naval base there. It's no longer a naval base. It's been decommissioned, and there's now, oh, I guess uh, folks who live in uh, the nice Lennar homes. Uh, Lennar is now building on Hunter's Point Shipyard, and they're building over on uh, in the Candlestick, where they took out Candlestick Park, and they're, they're building over on Treasure Island soon. So with that being said, um, my understanding is that those, those properties are, are fairly, well, not Candlestick, but certainly uh, Hunter's Point has been found to be toxic, at least the soil. The soil tested, uh, tests and samples from Tetratech were found to be uh, just not, not good. And, and uh, so thanks for the green, uh, what's the green? Green, uh, green Action. Green Action. Yep. Well, I go back many years with. Wonderful. Course. And Green Action, who really discovered this and said, wait a minute. And Treasure Island, they said, wait a minute. This stuff is toxic. It's toxic because um, because what it was used for when they were during World War II, when they were, when they were taking bombing of, of, of every sort, when people were being sent to the Pacific to bomb and to die and be died, kill and be killed, all that was happening. And of course, they left a footprint. 
Yes, they did. And they did a lot of uh, apparently some nuclear testing over on the San Francisco Hunters Point shipyard on animals. And a lot of those animal bodies were buried right in the soil there. And so uh, may, uh, was it Mark Farrell yesterday was uh, quoted and the Sa- uh, San Francisco Comical, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, the San Francisco yeah. Chronicle. Uh, basically, he says that he would, quote, along these lines, recommend that his friends and family or anyone else should live on San Francisco Hunters Point Shipyard. So uh, I, I basically told him on my Twitter feed, okay, so you were saying one thing before that you were against the Hunters Point Shipyard because it's possibly toxic. Now you flip-flopped and said that you would invite your friends and family to live there. Okay. Yeah. So you know what I said? Okay, so Mark Farrell's eating dirt in terms oh, yeah. of his word. Okay. Oh, my so I, I'm saying, you know what? Toxic dirt. <laughs> He's eating dirt. Well, and I said, okay, so you know what? Mark Farrell, since you've got a bunch of kids, I'd like to see your kids play and eat dirt because kids do if they're playing in the dirt don't they um have your kids it. play and eat dirt out there and let's let's see it dare you yeah, see up. how how safe it is yeah, you, uh, yeah, he's you gonna, let your kids play there he's gonna ignore you he's not gonna do all that these are politicians as you know quite well and as you've really gotten to learn you know before learn the way you're running have you, did you go to a lot, were you a lot of the, for they had some forums, not as many as the mayor's forums. Yes. But some forums where you met your other candidates. Yes, I did. Um, the first one that I attended was the Harvey Milk one. In fact, there was a young woman out here um, that I was chatting about and said the same thing. I, I got so overcome with emotion on the taser piece to find that so many in the community were supportive of, you know, no tasers for the SFPD. I I kind of lost my voice and forgot what I was going to say for the rest of the conversation. A little bit better for the LGBT uh, San Francisco De- uh, Democratic Club's uh, mayoral forum. We all showed up and we were all invited and uh, we were all standing or uh, sitting on the stage. And uh, lo and behold, we all RSVP'd, except for London Breed. Uh, London Breed uh, came over and just kind of showed up unannounced. He didn't RSVP. We No one had any idea. And kind of crossed her arms and sat in the press-only section and gave us all the eye. And I was like, well, golly, I've never met you, but gee, it's not really a good introduction there. <laughs> and, of course, our candidates, by our candidates, she announced her that she was running for mayor. Back then, like, who am I talking about? Announced she was running for mayor right here. Oh, well, Amy Weiss announced her run, her first run for mayor in 2015. Yep. So uh, Mutiny Radio and specifically the Common Thread Collective right and here. Women's Magazine have been a real like central part of uh, you know a place where people can come and and do what you're doing. kind of branch out and uh, you know explore these different ideas of uh, what what's possible, what's necessary, and what can be done. So um, thanks and for being here, Michelle. And thank you so much. I appreciate your invitation and. Uh, Again, uh, vote Michelle Bravo for mayor, San Francisco, in this special election, 2018. Thank you again for having me, Diamond. And way, way beyond the, uh, thank you. Way beyond Tuesday, I want to look at you. So you see, you're part. Of, you're welcome to. You're part of it. I, you said that. I know your learning curve is not going to end uh, on Tuesday. Uh, uh, end on Tuesday, we'll, but we'll continue. And the step is a step along the way, as we do what learn to love. Learn to love. Love to learn. Love to learn. That's what never ends. That's what and never ends. Just, you're always welcome here, and uh, I look forward to it. What do you think, Val? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy we're all coming together in our community here. And thank you, Michelle Bravo, for being my guest on Women's Magazine today. And um, we all are coming together here as we look at look in the face of uh, politics and, and what democracy can mean for all of us in this country and specifically here in this city. And um, I'm, I'm really... It, 
I'm really excited today um, because we've been kind of working up to this, getting ready for this. Um, we have a, we have three candidates here today. Um, well, we have Michelle, who's a candidate for mayor. Um, but we have three candidates here today who are running um, for the U.S. House of Representatives to represent District 12 here in San Francisco. It's Nancy Pelosi's district that she's been um you know, the representative of for a, a rather long time. Um, and so I'd like to introduce our guests today. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a forum um, and a conversation with, um, with, with, with these candidates who have uh, thrown their hat in the ring as well and um, have definitely a lot to, sh to share and contribute about what they see as the most important issues uh, facing not only San Francisco, but the country. So we're going to get a chance to see what we do here, how we roll, because people get a lot of different ideas, and once you see it yourself, you, you won't have that good idea how we roll. And so here we are. So is John going to do another song? Oh, uh, no, we're going to go straight into the forum. We're, okay. we're running, running through, but maybe John will come back later. Yeah, we got, he's got to go. Okay, yeah. John, think So I want to introduce, and, and if, gentlemen, if you want to pick up your um, microphones for a moment there, let's see, see how we're doing on... Thank you for joining us in this rather relaxed forum here at Mutiny Radio. Um, so we've got uh, three candidates here, Shahid Buttar. Great to be with you. We've got Barry Hermanson from the Green Party. Yep, Mike's working. Yeah, yep, Mike's working. And uh, Ryan Kojaste. Hello, everybody. Hello. All right. I am going to turn your mics up just a little bit just to make sure we've got uh, some good quality sound on you here. Well, why don't we start with, um, so Shahid, uh, you're, you're the first person in line here and the person with the best microphone so far. Um, I, would love, I would love it if you could um, introduce yourself a little bit, um, a little bit about your background and uh, why you're running for uh, Congress right now. Sure. Thanks, Val. Uh, my name's Shahid Buttar. I'm a constitutional lawyer. I came out of Stanford Law School 15 years ago. Uh, I taught constitutional law there as a teaching assistant. I uh, work most recently at the Electronic Frontier Foundation as the organization's director of grassroots advocacy. Uh, I've got 15 years of experience building the progressive movement uh, across the country here in San Francisco, in Washington, D.C., um, and at the local and state level and lots of different points in between. I'm running for Congress particularly because we are living in a historical moment when we need Congress to show up for work. And under the leadership of a bipartisan corporate establishment, we've seen Congress march lockstep uh, in, at, in the aggrandizement of an executive branch that threatens the rights and liberties of all Americans as well as the future. And this is no time for uh, people who put their careers before their public service, as I fear that uh, Nancy Pelosi has grown comfortable doing. And I'm very eager to see our city represented meaningfully in Washington. San Francisco is a unique city. Uh, it's, a, it's a tech capital. It's an LGBT mecca. It's a peace and justice um, uh, center. And, you know, if you remix these different communities, and, it, and we're a city of iconoclasts, of people who came here from elsewhere, largely, and I am an immigrant to this country. Uh, I've been an advocate for LGBT marriage equality since 2004, 10 years before the Democratic establishment. Uh, I've been arrested in lots of different cities trying to stop wars that Nancy Pelosi has voted to fund. Um, and watching the co-optation of San Francisco's voice in Washington has been uh, more than I've been willing to accept from the sidelines. That's why I'm running. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here and for letting us know a little bit about where you're coming from. Um, 
And I'd like to go down the line with just so we can continue with our introductions. Barry Hermanson, who's running on the Green Party ticket. Barry, thank you so much for, for coming back to Mutiny Radio. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. That's uh, a great show that you guys have. So um, I've, I've been a candidate before, and uh, uh, my major issues that I've been working on, I've been working on universal health care for 20 years um, uh, I'm wearing a T-shirt today that has an image of uh, an older image of the card that I'm using as a campaign card, U.S. Budget Priorities. And I first developed this uh, in 2007 and 2008 uh, to show just the dramatic uh, uh, percentage of our national discretionary budget that is devoted to military year in and year out. I developed this. Uh, in a campaign originally against uh, uh, Tom Lantos um, uh, leading up to the uh, 2008 primary. Uh, he died in office, and Jackie Speer uh, became the front runner. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that um, uh, she, she did win that, that special election primary. Um, uh, and then I caught her on a vote uh, in the summer of 2008 to support uh, uh, just an enormous bloated military budget. And I printed it on the back of my campaign card. Um, uh, and so just telling voters uh, throughout uh, the district uh, what she had done. And I'm very proud to say that she's been a very reliable vote ever since then against uh, uh, military spending. Um, I'm trying to do the same thing uh, with uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, last year, she voted uh, uh, along with, it, the vote was 344 to 81 in the House, and in the Senate it was 89 to 8, to give President Trump tens of billions of dollars more for the military than he had even requested. And so this information is on the back of my current campaign card. Um, uh, people throughout the district are getting this info. They really don't get information uh, about this sort of thing. Uh, the, the Chronicle... When they first reported it on Saturday, July 15th, uh, the 344 to 81 vote in the House, they reported that at the time it was $30 billion more than Trump had asked, um, um, and they reported the numbers 344 to 81, but they did not report that Nancy Pelosi had voted yes. And it, in my mind, they are uh, in collusion. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, they printed it on page 7A. Uh, on a Saturday morning, below the fold, pretty much guarantee that people would not see it. 